the Old Testament prophet Isaiah was told to do something no preacher I know has ever been told to do. And it was something I can't imagine ever doing in my wildest dreams. Isaiah was told by God to go around preaching and prophesying naked <laughs> until God told him to stop. I had no idea how long that was going to be. It ended up going for three years. Three years. You imagine? Isaiah obeyed God, and it ended up that he walked and preached naked for the next three years. Now, why would God ask Isaiah to do something like that, you ask? I know it's on your mind. Well, we find our answer in the book that's named after him, Isaiah. And it's in chapter 20, where this odd commandment from God is found. This is one of the shortest books of the Bible, uh, shortest chapters of the Bible, I should say. It's only six verses. And we're going to read it together. I want you to see how it came about that God said, this is what I want you to do. Go around and preach naked. Here it says, In the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, Take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be afraid and put to shame. In that day, the people who lived on this coast will say, See what has happened to those who we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? Isaiah's nakedness was a sign to the Egyptians and Ethiopians that Assyria would completely overpower and destroy their kingdoms. God was telling them what the Assyrians would do to their prisoners, young and old. They would make all of their prisoners march into captivity completely naked. Stripping someone naked before their enemies was an act of humiliation then. You can imagine it's an act of humiliation now. When one nation would defeat another, often the conquerors would take the defeated soldiers who happened to survive the battle and strip them naked or almost naked. Sometimes they cut off their beards, which was a sign of their manhood and strength. And just you know, They didn't want to go around clean-shaven in that day. And then they would cut off their robes at waist level, leaving their backsides exposed. And if they wanted to really make them suffer, then they would take this whole group of defeated soldiers and they would line them up face down on the road, side by side like cordwood. And then the conquering general would walk across their backs to show that he had utterly defeated them. What a moment, a time of great humiliation. And in this case, Isaiah says that the Egyptians and Ethiopians will be marched off, young and old alike, all the way back to Assyria, humiliated, as they took them away as exi into exile as slaves. Now, this was a sign then against the Egyptians and the Cushites or Ethiopians that they would soon be destroyed. 
But more importantly, Isaiah was sent to the Israelites. So what is he saying? God is saying to the Israelites. He's taking them to task for the fact that they trusted these other two countries to save them. That they put their hope, they put their confidence in them. And while it was a sign to them that they were going to be defeated to the Israelites, it was a warning that you need to put your trust and confidence in God, not in some other man or some other army. And this warning was sent to drive them back to God, putting their confidence in Him. Throughout Isaiah's prophetic ministry, the nation of Israel falsely believed that God would protect them no matter what. No matter what they did, they hadn't acted like good Israelites for a long time, but they still expected God to step in and protect them. They hadn't done what they were supposed to do as his people for many years, and yet they thought that God would somehow make sure that Jerusalem would never be overrun, the temple would never be destroyed, because God had made those promises. But God had also conditioned those promises on their own obedience and their own trust in him. Isaiah said, you've got this all wrong. God is not going to protect you. In fact, he's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to change your ways. Or he himself will bring judgment upon you through somebody. And that is exactly what happened. The prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. Thankfully, that prophecy also included that when all this had happened and the Israelites turned back to God in repentance, that God would restore them and bring them back home eventually. All throughout Isaiah, you read about the sins of the people, a lot of things. They had left God. They weren't listening to God. They were unjust towards the, the, the poor and the oppressed and orphans and widows, and they were, they were doing a lot of things they weren't supposed to do. Listen to what God said to them in Isaiah 29, 13. He says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with a wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise uh, will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. Who do, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? So the Israelites have gotten themselves in this position that they're asking this question, not even God will see what we're doing. God will not know what we're doing. We'll go ahead and do as we please. And God will somehow deliver us when the time comes. In Isaiah 30, 9-11, it says, these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, these are the, the, the preachers of the day, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. And so for many, many years, they had turned a deaf ear to Isaiah, to the other prophets. They wouldn't listen to them. They would go out and preach year after year, and the people would just turn away. And maybe that's why Isaiah was sent to them naked. Because who doesn't listen to a naked prophet? Who doesn't say, what, what, what? What's going on here? What is this guy saying? And his very prophecy was communicated the message that they could not easily forget. 
through Isaiah, God was pleading for his people to return to him to get their hearts right. Well, about three weeks ago, I ran into all of this. I was in my private devotions time, and I was reading between Isaiah 20 and Isaiah 30, and I kept coming up with these things, and I thought, why in the world did God ask Isaiah to go about preaching naked? And what was he preaching? What was he saying? And all these things started going through my mind, and all of a sudden I thought, this is what I need to preach about New Year's. This is what I need to preach about. What does this all have to do with the beginning of a new year? Because we, too, are the people of God. We, too, have heard God. We've heard him over and over again. We have the advantage of hearing God's word every week, faith, uh, by, preached by faithful or, or true messengers and prophets. We have God's blessings. We have God's grace. And yes, even God's protection and God's salvation. But is there ever a time that we stop listening? Is there ever a time when we turn a deaf ear? I've heard that before. When we ever say... You know, I, I think I know better than this. Sometimes that's what's happened. That's something we ten, need to admit today. Uh, there have been times in my life, probably in your life, I'm guessing, that you just kind of thought, I don't need that. I've heard that a bunch of times. I'm going to do something else. Do we ever think that we know better than God does? Do we ever choose to figure out our own way rather than, than to follow the way that God says to live? You know, God has some antiquated ways, we may think. Well, God has ways that worked many years ago, but they don't work so well in 2017. And we may turn the deaf ear to God, or in just in different messages, especially messages that are hard to hear, and say, I don't need that. Give me something pleasant. Kind of like the Israelites. Seers and, and visionaries and prophets, give us something we want to hear, not something we must hear that is hard to hear. And this is why I believe God grabbed my attention a few weeks ago. And he wants us to see and understand two very necessary attitudes we need as we enter a new year. Every time we enter a new year, we need these attitudes. And so I called the sermon Two H's. And you thought, what in the world is that? I, I don't even know why I did that. But it, I wanted to point out two words, and I want you to hold on to these two words. And I want you to enter this new year, and I want to enter this new year with these two attitudes that we must have. Humility and honesty. Very simple words. Humility and honesty. Can you just say those two words with me? Humility and honesty. Okay, let's, let's just get those resonating in our heads for a moment and think about this. Because our very relationship with God begins with these attitudes, doesn't it? I mean, if you don't have this, how can you begin? How can you start? They're the building blocks of really any, any relationship we can have with someone else. Whether you're talking about a marriage or a friendship or whatever. You know, if you want a good marriage, don't you have to have these? There has to be honesty between you. There has to be, you know, I say this and that's what I meant. That, you know, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. I'm not going to play games about what I'm saying or what I'm doing. I'm going to be honest with you. And there also be, it has to be some humility that says, you know, I value what you think as much as I value what I think. And I'm going to give to you um, honor, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to sacrifice for you. There's humility in this relationship where it just doesn't work. A good relationship can't develop if there's arrogance and pride in that relationship on either person's part. If one of them thinks that they're always right, then they're not going to listen to the other person. 
They don't care what they say. If they think they already have the, the best ideas, why get into conversation at all? Or if a person is approaching a relationship with no honesty, how can they possibly get together and work out things and, and come to an agreement and make their way forward together? And so humility and honesty are what is necessary in our relationship with God. God's gift of salvation is by grace. But we cannot receive even the gift if we have pride or dishonesty in receiving. We can only receive the forgiveness of God that he offers us in Christ when we are willing to humbly admit where we are and who we are and what we have done. If we try to hide these things from God, then there's not going to be a valid uh, transaction. There's not going to be a valid statement of faith, a confession, a profession, a, a desire for God to come in and change us. You know, if, you, if you're not willing to admit your faults and your weaknesses and, and humble yourself before God and bow before God, how can the relationship even begin? It can't. So we get to the point where we humble ourselves and we receive His grace. And that relationship we have with God can only grow, it can only develop when we continue to choose humility and honesty. These are the two most important ingredients. These are the building blocks of the relationship on our side of it. When we forget them, when we start doing things that are prideful, or when we start doing things that are dishonest with God, the relationship is weakened and in fact uh, may be in danger of being lost altogether. So let's, let's think about these for just a moment. Humility is humbly coming before God, admitting who we are and what we have done. It is also realizing how much greater he is than us. And so, you know, we owe him. He doesn't owe us. We come into the relationship humbling ourselves before God. And there are really two kinds of humility. There's basic humility, but then there's also humiliation, which is kind of a positive and a negative of it. Humility is humbling ourselves before God by choice. Humiliation is when we are unwilling to humble ourselves and so it is forced upon us by someone else. Our son Josh used to work at a youth shelter in uh, Columbus, Indiana. He worked there for about eight years. And one of the jobs he got assigned very early on as one of the workers in this youth shelter was receiving other young people into the shelter. And many times it would be... Uh, kids in trouble, kids in trouble with the law, or maybe drug users, drug abusers, and so on. And one of his least favorite tasks when he had to do that was he'd have to take these young men coming in. They might be 12, 14, 16, 18, and he'd have to do a strip search. He said, Dad, I hated doing that. You know, I, I had one no part of that. You know, it was, it was an awful experience to go through and try and take somebody else through that. You just felt terrible doing that to somebody and then being a part of it anyhow. These teenage boys usually had not bathed for a long time. They hadn't done anything to really take care of themselves. They'd been out on the streets, or maybe they'd been using drugs and not really caring about a lot of stuff like that. So it was a humiliating experience for them and for Josh. And even though he, he wore surgical gloves and a mask, that didn't really take care of it all. And he got in you know, really unpleasant situations there. But... You see the necessity of that when the young person is coming in. They want to know what they know. About. They want to know, you know, where are you? What, what have you 
done? What, what are you trying to maybe sneak into this facility? If you do that, it's going to mess up yourself and everyone else. If we want to get back to square one and begin with you so you can be rehabbed, so that you can, can have a fresh start in your life, the only way to do that is to get clear back to the naked truth of it all. And that's where it would begin. And Josh said, I hated to be part of that, but I knew it was necessary, so we did it. And every time somebody came in, that's where it began. And this is how we must choose to come before God, as unpleasant as it may be, as difficult as it may be. God already knows everything about us, so he's not surprised. God's not offended by that. He knows probably better than we know ourselves how dirty we've been and what we have done. But it is it is impossible to begin a relationship unless there is honesty and you get back to square one together with God. This past Friday night, we watched a show called Undercover Boss. Any of you like that show? I, I, I love it, especially at the end. You know, the, the CEO, the owner of the company, disguises himself and he goes in. And, and this happened to be uh, the one about retro fitness and Eric Cassabury went undercover. Doesn't, he doesn't even look anything like that when you see what he really looks like. So he goes in day after day in a different location of this uh, fitness club and different cities. And the one that really caught us the most, you know, our, our granddaughter sitting there, I can't believe that girl, I can't believe it. There's this woman working behind the counter, one of their employers, who had the most arrogant attitude you could imagine. She's training the owner of the company. She doesn't know he's the owner of the company, but she's training him first day on the job, and she's t telling him all kinds of really horrible things to do. She's got a horrible attitude towards uh, all of their members. She has an attitude towards him. If he questions anything, she's trying to train him. She just jumps all over him. She teaches him wrong things like how to make the smoothies and power drinks. He, oh, this is what they taught me to do, but this is a better way to do it because I know better than the, the company you know, that owns this. And, and she said, you really don't need to pay attention to the members. Tell them what they need to do. She, he saw so much going on, and finally he quit the day early because he was so frustrated, wanting to correct her, wanting to change her behavior, but he couldn't because it would have blown his cover. So he just made excuses and left. And well, later on, that lady lost her job, didn't she? Because <laughs> she wasn't a good fit for what they were trying to do in that company. And what was so interesting to us was that even when he directly confronted her as the CEO, as the owner of the company, her attitude was, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better than you how this should go. And until they brought in her immediate boss who had worked with her for two years, and he confronted her also, did she finally show any tears of regret. And then she was out the door. And at the end of the thing, they tell you how everybody turned out, where they went after that three weeks later. She had moved on to new jobs. She's now working at a nursing home, taking care of the elderly. And all of us are thinking, oh my God, God help those old people in that nursing home. Because she's got exactly the wrong attitude. She had to be humiliated before she even saw what had happened because she would not choose humility. Now how... Does this work then? Humility and honesty. We have just a few minutes to talk about that. How does a personal encounter with Jesus work at all? How do you get into this relationship and how do you make this work? What does it look like when we come to God with humility and honesty? Well, I'm going to give you an example from the Bible. If you have a Bible, turn over to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we see Jesus talking with a woman of Samaria. 
Uh, some of you have seen this passage before, but I want you to just think this through. Here's a woman who is living in a very sinful lifestyle. She has her whole life, and suddenly she meets Jesus. And what happens in that conversation? What happens when she is personally confronted by Jesus Christ? John 4, such a great story. And it turns out to be such a positive experience for her life. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, so let me try and summarize what's going on here. Here's a, a situation where Jesus' disciples are moving through the country, and they, they, they decide to cut through the corner of Samaria. Normally, Jews would pass around that because they didn't like the Samaritans. They would avoid them. But Jesus said, we're just going to go right through, and it's not a big deal. And as they're cutting through, they stop at this well. It's about noontime. It's Jacob's well, where Jacob had put in a well many centuries before, and and so Jesus said, I'll sit here. You guys go on into town and get us some lunch. So the disciples all leave him there. And suddenly this woman comes up from the town to get her water for the day. And she's an outcast from the town. Uh, she's one of the most immoral members of that town. And so she would come out there in the heat of the day to get her water so she didn't have to be around the other people who would have come when it was cooler. She comes up to the well and Jesus asks her for a drink. And she's shocked because, you know, a Jewish man would normally not even talk to her, but he does talk to her and even ask something of her to serve him. And she's shocked by that. And so she said, you know, to him, why are you doing this, you know? Uh, why would you ask this? And Jesus then replied, and I'm going to go a little bit further as he can see into her heart. He says, you know, go and call your husband. Let him come out here. <laughs> well, he knows her life. And she honestly admits, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know. You've actually had five husbands. The man that you're with now is not your husband. You imagine how large her eyes got. Like, how, how do you know all this? Sir, I see that you are a prophet, she says. I see that you know something that most people don't know. You can't be a stranger coming here and know these things about my life. And so she tries to divert Jesus. She tries to send him off on this little, this theological debate. She says, I see your prophet, so what do you think about this age-old question of where we're supposed to worship? Should it be down in Jerusalem at the temple, or should it be out here in this mountain, you know, where the Samaritans worship God? And they think they're right, the Jews think they're right. Which is right? She tries to draw Jesus into that, because then they don't have to talk about her. And Jesus won't be diverted like that. He says, well... That's really not the question, is it? That's not the big question. The question is about, about you. So he points out something about worshipers. He ta points out about truth, about honesty, about humility. Now, those are not the words he uses, except the word truth. He says that, that the worshipers, those who really have it right with God, can be described this way. And he says, it is the heart of the worshiper that counts, not where you worship, not about the ritual, it's not about the routine, it's not about all the rules taught by men, it's about the heart of the worshiper. What about your heart? And in the middle of this, in chapter 4, John, verses 23 and 24, he says this, Yet a time is coming, and has now come when the true worshipers, are you one of them? The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit 
or in the Spirit, and in truth. Hmm. The woman wanted to debate about worship in order to keep the attention away from her, but Jesus said what mattered was her face-to-face encounter with God. Jesus was basically saying something I want you to kind of get in your mind this morning is this. Worship is not religion or ritual. It's a personal encounter with holy God. Face to face. Person to person. Worship is coming before God humbly. Worship is coming before God honestly. In spirit and in truth are Jesus' words. And when this Samaritan woman finally did this, everything in her life changed. She had been playing games with God for many years before that. She had been putting God off into debates or into you know classifications and, and all kinds of rituals and rules and, and uh, all kinds of religious things that kept things at a distance. God could be kept at a distance. But when she encountered Holy God personally, face to face, Everything changed. And she got so excited, she ran back into town. She told everybody else, Hey, there's a guy out there to well, you're not going to believe. He knows all about me. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that God is sending to deliver us, to save us? And she got everyone else excited. A whole bunch of them went out and met Jesus at the well. And pretty soon they invited him to stay. And he ended up staying for the next couple of days. And it said on the result of this woman's faith, Many of the people of her town put their trust in Jesus Christ as well. You see, when you encounter holy God face to face, person to person, it changes things. You can no longer act the same way. You can no longer think the same way. You can no longer believe the same way. And that's where true worship occurs, and true worship is life-changing. It is life-changing when we come before God with humility and honesty. And so, that's why I want to encourage all of us this morning, as we're beginning this new year, as we're thinking about where this is going to go, are we going to keep these resolutions? Are we going to make any changes? Are we going to become better people? Are we going to serve God in a richer, more effective way? Are we going to love God and love people as we're supposed to? Are we going to make disciples as we're supposed to? All of those things. It begins with these two things, humility and honesty. And it ends with these two things, humility and honesty. Because when we come before God in humility and honesty, we can encounter Him face to face, person to person. Coming before God in humility and honesty does not leave us condemned, does not leave us feeling all dirty and and guilty before God, because in that moment, God shows us His grace. His acceptance, His forgiveness. We don't have to keep walking in that that reminder of all the past because we're given a new future in Christ. We don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. He already knows everything about us. So don't go around trying to prove yourself. Hey God, I was so much better today than I was then. Aren't you going to give me credit for that? It's not about that. It's about His grace operating in our lives. And all we have to do is joyfully accept all that God has already lavishly provided us through Jesus Christ. So humility and honesty are the right beginning point for the new year. They're a great starting place. 
and they are the place to carry on a relationship with him anytime, anywhere. So we're going to do something this morning before we go. I've asked a couple of the guys to pass out a little sheet of paper to every person in the room. You guys do that right now, please. And uh, I want you to, to think through some things, and I want you to very personally, privately, think about your relationship with God. Basically, this is what the sheet says. So you, some of you haven't seen it yet, so it says this. This is a prayer of your own. This is a private thing you can do. And it says this. Humility and honesty in our individual prayers right now. God, I haven't done this in a while, but today I want to do two things. First of all, I want to admit my need for you. I want to admit, first time in a while, maybe, that I've admitted, I can't do this without you. You, know, you fill in. I can't, whatever. I, I can't be the person you want us to be. I can't love the way I'm supposed to. I, you fill that in because you know your life, and this is a moment of honesty and humility with God. Secondly, I want to acknowledge or to confess the sins in my life that maybe I have not acknowledged or confessed at all, or maybe recently. Things that maybe I'm ignoring. Maybe I'm hiding them. Maybe I'm pretending. And other people don't have any clue this is going on in my life. Because this is not about the other people right now. This is about you and God. And so you're going to answer some things like, no one else knows about, you name what it is. Or maybe several things. Maybe it's, a, you know, you're so critical of other people. Behind their backs, you're saying really nasty things about people. Or maybe... Uh, you are caught up in something that you know is not right. And you are captive to that. When Jesus has already given you the way to get free, and you're still living there. Or maybe maybe it's some, some other action of your life that you regret, and now you want to confess that. And you say, I need to clear this up with you, God, because we can't move on until I do. Until I'm honest, until I'm humble. And then at the end, I want you to thank God for his grace. So I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Uh, please fill this out. Shield it from the people around you if you need to, whatever. This is a private moment between you and God. Be totally honest, brutally honest, and humble yourself before the Lord. This paper that you filled out is not for anyone else to see unless you choose to share it with somebody. There's some value to that. You know, James says, confess your faults to one another and pray for each other. Uh, but this is primarily a, an act of worship between you and God, in spirit and in truth, in humility and honesty. And I would encourage you to hang on to this piece of paper, you know, tuck it away somewhere in your wallet, or maybe put it in you know, some place where you can be reminded that you have had this moment, this encounter with God, and you have, with His intervention, asked for His help. Let me pray for each of us this morning as we close. Father, we just bow before you, humbly asking that you would cleanse us. Uh, Lord, you have promised us the forgiveness of our sins through Christ. We are so grateful for that. But this uh, cleansing, you know, we, we forget. We um, get kind of proud sometimes and the relationship with you suffers when we're just holding on to things and ignoring things, pretending they're not there. 
cleanse us, uh, renew us today, Father. Help us to walk in purity and holiness before you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for being the God who loves us in spite of us, whose grace covers all sin. And you give us not only grace for the past, but grace for future, grace not only to uh, to take care of, of the, the wrong we've done, but to teach us how to live and to be uh, your your children, honoring you, glorifying you through our lives. In this moment, as we're facing this new year, help us to humble ourselves before you and to honestly seek you with all of our heart. And when we seek you with all of our heart, you have promised you will be found and your grace will abound in our lives. I ask for your blessing upon everyone here gathered in the name of Jesus. We pray it.